0: A woman refuses to press charges convincing herself that her spouse just lost it and won't be violent again A child wears long-sleeved shirts to school even on warm days to hide bruises from the belt An elderly disabled father keeps silent about his soiled pants and belly aches from lack of food out of shame for his daughter's negligence and his own fragility. A wife refuses a job out of fear of repercussions at home. A husband doesn't get that bump on his head examined to avoid questions about his wife's use of Blunt objects to express her rage. A child abuses an animal in response to her experiences at home. These and more are scenarios that are a part of our society at large, mostly unseen and unexamined, yet contributing to cycles of aggression and fear, unhealthy choices and denial, toxic patterns of relating and reckless justification. When it gets to visible abuse, we can identify that something is terribly off balance, but that's a place of being that grew from seeds of unhealthy relating that at first may seem harmless. Our society is filled with messages promoting damaging power dynamics denial, and neglect. We promote false ideas of success, hero and victim dramas, and we make suffering noble. We encourage dependency on the judgment of others and reward sacrifice for the sake of others. We promote the magical thinking of making it on your own, discouraging our impulse to ask for help. All these dynamics serve the cycle of violence that is prevalent in all walks of society. Today we unveil the silent witness figurines that represent people who have died as a result of domestic violence in Harford County. These victims, along with countless others, witnessed the devastating result of abuse of power, senseless control, and toxic dependency. They do not stand as figurines different than ourselves, however. They're not statues to feel removed from. These lives that we lift up are intricately related to us in the web of life. When one being suffers, our interdependent web suffers. And when one being heals, our interdependent web strengthens. So the witness on our front lawn for the month of October is not only an appeal for awareness and clarity about our interrelating, it is a calling for us to be intentional about our own use of power, about justice, and about right relationship. Any one of us can fall into the patterns of abuse that harms. Any one of us can find the wisdom of right relationship that heals. We begin learning how to relate the minute we're born and find our way through the relationships we form. As Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us, seeds of aggression and kindness, trust and distrust, compassion and betrayal, joy and sorrow are in us, amongst us, and expressed through us. They add to our collective consciousness and become the stories we tell our children. We form habits of relating that teach us how to see the world and ourselves in it, seeking meaning, fulfillment, and a sense of purpose. Decisions in all walks of life reflect what we've learned about human nature in our homes and communities, and give us our own sense of how to survive and hopefully thrive. Born into this world, we realize we do have to find our way, and in this realization, we're often ironically steered off our course. We often forget that we are interdependent and that we need the support of others and one another to form our lives. We have a tendency to let our fears get the better of us, fears of loss, of abandonment, of not being loved, of not being noticed, of not being enough. So then we try to control our environment and our relationships. When we find ourselves in what we think are controllable worlds, we've cut ourselves off from the larger reality of help available and abundance of life that is beyond our knowing. We perceive limited resources because of our limited focus on what we think we can control and set up a kind of antagonism towards the unknown. There is, of course, a part of us that knows the world is larger than we can control, yet instead of seeking healthy relating to support our lives, we turn in on ourselves and create a core doubt of the worthiness of our lives. Once self-doubt, fear of failure, perfectionism, or guilt set in, we are primed to be controlled by others and by systems of accountability that use our energies to gain power rather than support our being in mutuality. All of us can lose our way and struggle with core doubt rather than self-worth. The spectrum of behavior from that core doubt ranges from either lashing out and blaming everyone else for the inner struggle that we feel Everyone else's fault. Or to closing in and blaming ourself. That's the spectrum. Most of us have a little bit of both. But when it gets distorted, either way, a cycle of violence against self and other begins. And when you put the two ends of the spectrum together, a lashing out person and a going in person, it is a habit of relating that is hard to stop so we have to catch it before it gets out of hand, most readily in ourselves, but also in our relating to others. The other day I was at a store and a cashier was you know, doing, doing her work. And at some point she missed something. I don't know. I can't even remember what it was. Maybe missed you know, ringing up something of mine or not giving me the right change or something. But immediately when she discovered that she'd made a mistake, she goes, oh, you dingbat. Don't do that. And we started talking just a little bit, you know, just you know, the banter that you have with cashiers, and it felt safe enough for me to say, "Don't do that. Don't call yourself a dingbat. You know, you, you were fine. You made a mistake. It's fine. Don't do that." You know, in a way of saying, you know, you're just, you know, you're, you're feeding that seed of, of lack of self worth, and we, you know, it's, we need to call each other on that kind of thing and call ourselves on that kind of thing. I mean I know a while ago along you know, I used to, you know, apologize to furniture when I bumped into it. And sorry, and I go I just apologize to a table being in the table's way, you know. You gotta catch that. Catch that in yourself. What this is about is relational power. How we affect and are affected by others, whether we use our power to heal or harm, whether we're aware of our response ability. Whether we honor our contribution to the flow of all being. Relational power. Jesus spoke of this, as did Buddha, Lao Tzu, Taoist, and the Tao Te Ching, and ancient texts of the Bhagavad Gita, Hindi Bhagavad Gita. Relational power. The choices we make to affect ourselves, our neighbors, and our relationship to ultimate being, to all it is. In the mid-20th century, Christian liberation and feminist theologies focused in on concepts of power and found that there are two primary energies of agency or relational power described in the New Testament and in Jesus' ministry. And two Greek words were used that were translated into power in English texts. One of the words used was exousia which means appointed power or power given someone by means of a position or place of authority. It's, it's power that you give someone else, it's authority that you give someone else. The other word that was translated as power was dunamis, which means mutual power, the kind of power that brings about justice, equanimity, and fullness of being. And when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God from that is within, he was speaking of dunamis. He was talking about this kind of power, our inborn dignity, our ability to create a sacred mutuality, a sense of God with one another, God in relation. It's a shared power, only known through mutual regard, through recognition of the worth and dignity of self and other, a common phrase in feminist theology, is to come to a place of being self-respecting and other-regarding persons. Self-respecting and other-regarding persons, that's dunamis, that's justice. What made Jesus so compelling, challenging, and of course dangerous to people in religious and political power was his emphasis and manifestation, his example, his showing of dunamis, the resonance of the kingdom of God within, the power that we have to heal and come to a mutual, peaceful life together. You can see in his ministry how much of his teachings were about relational power. The Sermon on the Mount is one long talk about principles of relating and how to ask for help from the wisdom of the cosmos within. Hannah Moog and Carol Anthony, scholars of the I Ching, and ancient Chinese texts, speak of an innate guidance system within each of us. The guidance system is actually in each of our cells, which holds the memory of what cosmic harmony feels like. We all know what cosmic harmony feels like. It's in our being, the kingdom of God within In the Tao Te Ching, a Taoist text, chapter 16, the line reads, each separate being in the universe returns to the common source. Returning to the source is serenity. Judeo-Christian imaging might render this the still small voice within, that knowing of what cosmic harmony feels like a guidance system, ways of dwelling in peace and justice, ways for mutuality. Now, there are ways that this knowing is blocked, as we all know. Some of us are trained from an early age that we need to serve others before paying attention to ourselves. That's one way that this knowing is blocked. Our sense of self-respect, then, is tied up in pleasing others and weakens in lack of nourishment. We can think that we as a spouse or a parent or a friend are capable of sacrificing our own happiness for the sake of others. We can convince ourselves that this is noble or have the grandiose feeling that we can carry the world on our shoulders for others. This is an imbalance that can lead to enabling dysfunctional behavior allowing it too much room to grow because we do not Insist on respectful behavior toward ourselves. So that's violence against yourself. Some of us have embraced the notion that our duty to others far outweighs our own sense of well-being. To be moral and good, we've convinced ourselves, the martyr, the hero, we choose to try and tame another's demons. We think we're capable of taming another's demons. Put up with toxic behavior to let the other get it out of her or his system. No. Such behavior feeds on itself. It has no wisdom to stop. It takes energy. It does not find harmony. It invites self-indulgence even unto the destruction of the relationship. If we pay attention to the demons within another, we are feeding the demons within another. Some of us choose a kind of magical thinking that believes our love will heal this. Not altogether. It's not love to net another self-destruct through the parasite of anger or aggression. Love that resonates with cosmic harmony is self-respecting and other-regarding. It does not allow for imbalance of power or disregard of the worth of another. When we find ourselves in a situation that does not feel right, it is brave and wise to ask for help. When we find ourselves in a situation that does not feel right, it is brave and wise to ask for help. So much of our being with one another has to do with attitude and perspective. We can help one another see ourselves out of stuck patterns and dangerous choices. We can also help through deep understanding and compassion, knowing that if we are hurting another, we've lost touch with our inherent guidance system, which everyone has. That does not mean allowing for violent behavior. It means stopping such behavior through counsel or isolation till an understanding comes to light. The witnesses standing silently tell us this. Pay attention. Honor the life you were given by claiming your worth. Ask for help when you've lost your way. Listen to your inner truth and do not take on another's demons. Give room for growth. Say no and mean it. Look for the yes in all things. Honor your life, honor all life. And plant seeds, plant seeds of hope and love and joy. Plant seeds of compassion, plant seeds of courage. Do this in fertile ground and know that all will be well. If we take our lives seriously and joyfully and gratefully, all, in the end, will be well. So may it be. Amen.